Well, good morning. I'm glad you are with us. My name is Daniel, as Evan just said. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you're joining us on this Labor Day weekend. I realize that you could be doing many other things, and uh, you could be watching many other things on your screen besides joining us uh, for worship. And so I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for being with us. If you are newer to Christ Central, we would love to connect with you. Uh, please let us know that you're here. Fill out a digital connect card. Uh, come to Starting Point. We really would like to get to know you. For everyone, as we move into this new season of ministry, uh, we want to reiterate that we want you to do what feels comfortable to you in this season. We're going to continue to provide streaming options on Sunday if that's your preference. We will live stream our in-person outdoor worship services, which begin next week. If you feel comfortable, we would love for you to attend one of our two services, an 8.30 or a 10 a.m. service. We ask that you register. We're so excited to do this. Uh, we are doing everything we can to keep this as safe as possible. Uh, and so we're looking forward uh, to next Sunday gathering together at Durham Nativity School. And also want to encourage you again to sign up uh, for a city group or for a huddle. These are great ways to get connected into our community. And I don't know how many of you have been watching the NBA playoffs. Uh, I know it's not the same this year uh, as, as it has been in the past because they're playing in a bubble in Orlando and there are no fans. They're just digital fans, which is kind of weird to me. Uh, but regardless, it's been really nice, uh, at least for me to have some sports to watch. Uh, last weekend, I was watching the pregame show inside the NBA on TNT, uh, the panel of Ernie, Shaq, Kenny, and Charles. And a few days leading up to the show, there were three deaths that rocked much of the NBA and rocked maybe many of you. Clifford Robinson played for the Portland Trailblazers, died at the age of 53. Luke Olson, Hall of Fame coach at Arizona, died at the age of 85. And Chadwick Boseman, brilliant actor starring in movies like 42 and Black Panther and many others, died at the age of 43. Ernie, Shaq, Kenny, and Charles, they all started discussing the loss of these three men and how 2020 has felt like one blow after another. And Shaq said, you know, guys, I just wish 2020 would have never have happened. And Kenny Smith interjects and says, Shaq, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm really glad 2020 has happened. 2020 has caused me to realize what really matters in life. I've spent more time with my family than ever. I've started new ventures that I'd only thought about. I talk to my close friends with more consistency. I tell people I love them more often. And as hard as 2020 has been, I am thankful for it because it's caused me to focus on what really matters. Kenny Smith was speaking about what Jerry Sitzer in his book, A Grace Disguised, talks about. Grace Disguised, it's a, it's a reading suggestion, a summer reading book that was recommended through us this summer. If you've not read it, I highly recommend it. But this is what Jerry Sitzer writes in A Grace Disguised. He says, the winter's loss leads to the spring of recovery. It is not true that we become less through loss unless we allow the loss to make us less. Loss can make us more. 2020 has been an extremely difficult year, a year of much hardship and many losses. And I'm not minimizing the pain of loss and the realities of suffering that we've all endured and that you've endured specifically. But I agree with Kenny Smith and Jerry Sitzer. 
2020, though, has at times been the worst of times that if we allow God to meet us in our loss and suffering, he can lead us to the best of times. And one way this happens is that we recover a vision for what really matters. And this is my hope for the church of Jesus Christ in the world during 2020, my hope for the global church. Therefore, it's my hope for Christ's central church. Through all that we are enduring, God will graciously cause the church to recalibrate, to reorient and refocus on what really matters as the church in this world. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage familiar to many Christians. It's a picture of the early church and their commitment to what they really believed mattered. Let me say this, that uh, I think know uh, that regardless on where you find your spirit, yourself on the spectrum of Christianity. Maybe you grew up mainline Protestant church. Maybe you grew up Catholic or Pentecostal. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church at all and you're just now checking out the church. I think everybody who reads the passage that I'm about to read says, yes, I would like church to be just like that. I would love to be a part of a church like that. But let me give you a little bit of quick context before I read it. Right before this passage, Jesus Christ has been crucified And then he resurrects from the dead. He tells his followers that it's better for me to leave because when I leave, the Holy Spirit will be sent and poured out on you and will never leave you. So Jesus then ascends to the right hand of the Father. And the Jewish festival of Pentecost arrives and people travel from all over, thousands of miles away to gather in Jerusalem there at Pentecost. And there at Pentecost, the promise of Jesus is fulfilled. The Holy Spirit is poured out and the followers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. And amazing things begin to happen. Peter preaches a sermon to everyone gathered and 3,000 people become new Christians in one day. And then we come to our text, this picture of a community filled with the Holy Spirit focused on what matters. So let me read our passage, which is Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47. This is God's word to us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord, we ask that you would that you really would speak to us this day, that we would have ears opened, hearts soft to receive, a willingness to walk in your truth. Lord, we, we need to hear from you, so I pray that you would remove me, the preacher, that Christ, you would be exalted. I pray that you would give us a vision of what the church is to be in this world, that what we're to be as your followers in this world. I pray that you would bless your word, that it, would re- that it would return uh, with power in our lives, that uh, we know it will not return uh, void, 
uh, but that it will accomplish its purposes. And so we pray that you do that. Every person who's tuned in this, this day, that you would meet us right where we are. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever gone for a swim in the ocean uh, when there's a strong undercurrent. Uh, I grew up going to the Gulf Coast of Alabama and, and Florida, and we would go out into the ocean for a swim, and my parents would tell us over and over to be careful for the undercurrent because you want to be mindful that it doesn't pull you too far down the beach. And, and they would tell us to, to pick out two markers on the shoreline, maybe an umbrella or a building, and allow these markers to serve as boundaries to make sure that we were not being swept too far, that as long as we stayed between the umbrella and the building, we knew we were not in danger. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, gives us markers to know if we're being swept away. This passage is a clarion call of what really matters for the church in this world. 2020 has caused me to ask as a, one of the pastors here, what are we really devoted to as a church, Christ Central? What are we really devoted to? I use this word devotion because it's the word our passage uses. And devotion was a key characteristic of the early church. And there is a huge difference between liking the idea of something and being devoted to it. Someone might like the idea of running, exercise, being a member of the gym, but they might even buy some new running shoes and sign up for a gym membership and get so excited that they start telling everybody about it, but then they never go for a run. They never go to the gym. This is a person who likes the idea of exercise, but you know someone is devoted to exercise when they schedule everything else around it. The, the person guards the 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. hour or the 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. hour, and they're not going to allow sleep or work or leisure to get in the way. Devotion means making it a priority. It means you sacrifice for that thing. You give up something for the sake of the other. You give up sleep or you give up leisure to be devoted to exercise. Our passage shows us what the early church was devoted to. They show us what really matters, a few things that are a high priority and worth sacrificing for. The first thing we see is that they were devoted to word, sacrament, and prayer. I know that's three things, but it's my first point. Word, sacrament, and prayer. We see this in verse 42. Look with me there. It says, devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of, the bre of bread, and the prayers. So let me start with they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to God's truth given to the apostles that we now have in the Old and New Testament. They read, they studied, they sought to understand the teaching of the apostles. And we are to devote ourselves in the same way, to read, study, and seek to understand the truth of God given to us in the Old and New Testament. Listen, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the people of God, it does not mean they turn off their minds. Rather, it means they use their minds. The early church was devoted to theology. Now, I know that word can be scary for some people, but theology just simply means the study of God. And every single person has a theology, a view of God. They were devoted to making sure their theology was sound and in accord with the apostles' teaching. They weren't trying to relive their experience at Pentecost over and over. 
They were not focused on moving from one emotional experience to the next, but they were focused on sound teaching about God. Now listen, I'm not trying to discount experience. And I'm not at all trying to create a dichotomy of there's thinking with our minds and then experiencing with our hearts or our emotions. The Bible never speaks in that way. The Bible does not create the dichotomy of the mind and the heart. We create that dichotomy. But here's what I'm saying. Theology helps us understand and rightly interpret our experience. C.S. Lewis uses the analogy of a map to describe theology. For example, if you were walking around downtown Durham with a map of the city and you were looking for the Durham Bulls baseball stadium and you went up to someone and you asked them about the Durham Bulls just because they could point to the stadium on the map doesn't mean they've actually experienced a game at the stadium. Doesn't mean they've experienced the fireworks going off and eating a hot dog while the Bulls win. They don't necessarily know the experience. At the same time, if someone wanted to tell you about their experience of the Durham Bulls and how you should experience the same thing, it would be really hard for them to do that without having a map and giving you some directions on how to get there so you can be sure you're in the right place doing the right thing. This is true for theology. Just because someone can tell you a lot about theology, point it out on a map, they've read and they've studied about God, doesn't mean they've necessarily experienced God. And that might be some of you today. Maybe you've heard a lot about God. You've read, studied, you've listened, but maybe you've never experienced the life-changing presence of God. At the same time, if you want to know how to experience God, how to get there, theology is needed in order to rightly understand genuine experience of God. The early church is devoted to learning the truth of God, to studying the scriptures and the apostles' teaching. This is so important because as N.T. Wright said, when there is no attention given to teaching, people revert to the worldview of the surrounding culture. If we as a church are not devoted to teach and to study God's word, if we do not teach what is sound theology in accord with the apostles' teaching, we can become a people who are easily swayed by the surrounding culture. We can get swept away and be in danger of looking more like the culture than looking like the people of God in which he's called us to be. The apostles' teaching was the foundation of the early church. There was a devotion to God's truth. Next thing we see is that there's a devotion also to sacrament and prayer. Uh, Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Don't read that too quick and and miss the definite article that's in front of breaking of bread and prayers. It's the breaking of bread and the prayers. Whereas it's easy for us to create a dichotomy that we're either mind or heart people, I think it's easy within Christianity to create a dichotomy of someone either being a structured person, you know, like they love liturgy, love organization, or they're non-structured. They love kind of organic and spontaneity. But this text shows us it's not an either or, but rather it's a both and. And here in verse 42, we really do see a devotion to structure the breaking of bread, the prayers, very specific. 
The breaking of bread is speaking of the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. That there was a devotion to the gathering consistent, uh, the gathering of the body consistently to partake of the sacrament of Christ's body broken and his blood shed. There was a devotion to gathering around the table, the Lord's table, a table different than any other table because at the Lord's table, the Holy Spirit is poured out and connects us to the crucified and resurrected Christ. And we are strengthened and we're fed on God's presence and his grace and his love. And so there was a devotion to the sacraments and they were devoted to the prayers. This is also speaking of structure. This isn't spontaneous prayer, which there's definitely a place for, but here we see the early church being devoted to the prayers, ancient prayers. They were praying the Psalms and old Jewish prayers at set times during the day. They were devoted to gathering in the temple, verse 46, day by day to pray particular Psalms, time-tested Jewish prayers at certain times of the day. A devotion to God's word, apostolic teaching, sacrament and prayer. It laid a foundation that kept the church from being swept away and looking more like the culture than the people of God. The second thing that we see, I know that was three, that was my first point though. The second thing that we see them being devoted to is one another. Now, the early church was not just mind and structure. They prized the heart and emotion and organic spontaneity. We see this in their devotion to each other and being together outside of structured time. Look at verse 46. They were in each other's homes. And verse 42, they were devoted to fellowship. Now, I think this word fellowship has lost its meaning and power in our day, especially within the, within the church. It's overused. But the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, and it means partnership. And this partnership or this fellowship is further described in verse 44. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common, that they were devoted to one another in such a way that they were willing to sacrifice self for the sake of the other. Now catch this, they were sacrificing preference because these were Jews from all differing cultures, people from differing socioeconomic backgrounds, people with differing ideologies. And they were sacrificing their preference of culture and ideology so that they could be a unified family. Not unity in that they all agreed upon interest and ideologies all of a sudden, but they were devoted to one another more than they were their own preferences. And this allowed them to be a diverse community, but a unified family because they were motivated by having a common savior. And they were also sacrificing material possessions. Look at verse 45. It says they were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So the wealthy and those in abundance were giving to those in need. As needs arose, they would meet them. Now, let me clarify, this is, this is not a proof text for socialism. This is not a forced sharing and distribution of wealth. This is completely voluntary. These are people so devoted to Jesus that they know to, that if they want to love God, it means that they love neighbor. And to love neighbor means to give, to share, and to sacrifice for the other. Kent Hughes writes this. He says, fellowship is not just a sentimental feeling of oneness. It's not punching cookies <laughs> like that. It's not punching cookies. 
It does not take place simply because we're in the church hall. Fellowship comes through giving. True fellowship costs. So many people never know the joys of Christian fellowship because they've never learned to give themselves away. The truth is we will have fellowship only when we make it a practice to reach out to others and to give something of ourselves. Here's the thing, Christ Central. Most of us, I would say, probably like the idea of fellowship, like the idea of a church community that's multicultural and multi-class and multi-generational, multi-personality as a church that we pray reflects our city. We've got to be very careful to not be like that person who buys running shoes and some Nike shorts and they like the idea of running, but they don't make it a priority and they won't sacrifice in order to go for that run. The question for us, church, is will we make it a priority to get to know people in this community? Will you sacrifice preference and possessions? Will you give of yourself for the sake of another? So whether you're white, black, Asian, Latinx, single, married with no children, married with children, or you're an empty nester. If you're really going to be devoted to others who are different than you, it will cost you. It will cost all of us. We're going to have to sacrifice preference for the sake of the other. I had a friend who said, we don't have to work for our salvation as Christians, but we do have to work at relationships. That's true. You'll have to say no to comfort No to spending something on yourself. No to your preference so that you can say yes to one another. Here's the last thing that we see that they were devoted to. They were devoted to worship. Look at verse 46. It says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. This worship, it took place in the temple and structured in liturgy and sacrament. But worship also took place in one another's homes. So we should be a church that highly values what happens on Sunday morning. Song, prayer, preached word, sacrament. We should be devoted to gathering on the Lord's day. But verse 46 also means that they were in and out of one another's homes, eating meals together. And they were doing it, the text says, with glad and generous hearts. They were devoted to be together and to have good food, to laugh and to share stories, to be together with glad hearts hearts. To me, that sounds like a really good city group, really good huddle, or good dinners for six, or a party that I hear some of you throw and invite others to attend. John Worsham, who's a member of our church, uh, sent a few of us the other day a, a playbook that he created. He called it the Pig Picking Playbook. And it's the how-to to to build a a big old smoker grill so that you can grill out and and then use it to invite others over for a party. I love it. Now, in the midst of COVID, we've got to do all these things, obviously, with safety in mind. But we've got to be in one another's lives. In verse 47, it tells us that they were praising God. The early church were a people of celebration and joy that they were worshipers on Sunday morning and worshipers Monday through Saturday as they were together. And the danger for us, Christ Central, is that we become focused on the mission at hand and we forget the God of the mission. And that we can become doers and forget that we're first worshipers, which is why we need Sunday morning and city groups and huddles and times with one another, times of celebration and times of joy. 
And the crazy thing about this is that when we are a community of worship and joy and celebration, when we praise God, we become, verse 47, a people who have favor with all people. And one of my favorite things that has happened a number of times over the past six years as one of the pastors here is that when our church is gathered in, in our city for differing things, celebrating and having a good time, is that someone will come to me and, and they'll ask, who are y'all? And I'll be like, well, we're, we're a church. You're, you're a ch- what's the name of your church? Christ Central Church. And, and they'll say, well, I might need to check your church out. And I love that because I think when we live like worshipers, when we celebrate and we have joy, we become, the church becomes a magnet. People taste a community that they want to be a part of. It's powerful evangelism. I mean, did you pick up what happens in verse 47 as a result of this devotion that the early church has? Look at verse 47. It says, the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. The church is expanded. When the church focuses on what really matters, we become attractive to the world in which we live. 2020 has been some of the best times and some of the worst times. It's been a hard year. But I truly believe that Jesus gave his life and death on a cross and he rose from the grave and he sent his spirit to bring beauty out of ashes. And I trust that he is doing that in your life because God is devoted to you. God is devoted to his church. He was willing to sacrifice his son on a cross and Jesus willingly endured with joy the cross. And the spirit is at work applying redemption to individuals and to the world. And it's because of God's devotion to us that we can trust that death and darkness does not have the final word. The recovery of spring is coming. Out of loss, we experience gain. In the midst of the hard times of 2020, let us not get swept away by our time or by the surrounding culture. But may we focus on what really matters and may we be devoted to God's word, to sacrament and prayer, devoted to one another and devoted to worship. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that we get a picture of the early church when the spirit of God was poured out and they experienced uh, your presence They were then motivated to be devoted to your word and to sacrament, to prayer, devoted to one another in a way that is very different than we often experience. And they were devoted to worship, being a people of celebration and joy. And so I pray that you would, by your spirit, cause us to focus on what really matters. And then in the midst of these hard times, uh, we might be the people of God in the midst of hard times, being a city on a hill, and that people might be drawn to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.